Amen. God is good. What a glorious God we serve. He is amazing. And uh, that, that worship set just makes me want to preach, but I'm just going to read the scripture. <laughs> um, my name is Jason Espy. I'm an elder here at Calvary. And uh, our scripture reading is going to be Ecclesiastes 10:16 through 11:8, And I'm going to be reading from the NASB. Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad, and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility, and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. Their indolence or laziness, the rafters sag. I'm sorry, through indolence, the rafters sag, and through slackness, the house leaks. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment, and wine makes life merry, and money is the answer to everything. Furthermore, in your bedchamber, do not curse a king, and in your sleeping rooms, do not curse a rich man. For a bird of the heavens will carry the sound, and the winged creature will make the matter known. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven. Or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they will pour out rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and do not be idle in the evening, for we do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed, or whether both of them alike will be good. The light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. Thank you, Jason. And good morning, all. Good. Let's try it again. Good morning. I'd like to begin with three statements just to remind us of some truth. The Bible is truth. God is real. And Jesus is Savior to all. And all God's people say... Thank you. If you have your Bible, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We're kind of saddling the two chapters this morning. We're going from Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 16 through chapter 11 verse 8. We are in our 13th week of a 14-week series going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through this book. And if you just did the math, then you know that next week we will finish the book of Ecclesiastes. And no applause? Okay. There we go. I got a whistle. Thank you. Um, But I, I was just... Can I... The passage today is just so practical. It is just wonderful. I was sitting in Panera Bread this week, and it was just like this endless well of truth and principles and just practical wisdom to life. Because what we see here is just practical wisdom for for life for money, for our personal lives. I mean, in all aspects we see today, what Solomon really talks about that is in life, the storms are brewing offshore. So prepare yourself. In a word, he is saying to be prudent. 
Today he's talking about prudence for uncertain life under the sun. Now what some of you are thinking, uh, what is prudence? What does that even mean? We don't really use that word a lot, so I kind of snatched it out of the air today, and it actually made sense. So according to the dictionary, prudence means behavior that is careful to avoid risks. Brass tacks. Prudence means planning ahead to avoid the trials of life, to take off the curve, to curb the trials and tribulations that are going to come your way in the storms that are brewing. There's things that are coming in your life that you will not expect, that will just come. But if you prepare yourself accordingly, you can handle it better. Prudence is planning ahead. And that's what Solomon was talking about today. Because true or false, life is unpredictable. True or false, you have no idea what life will throw at you. True or false, some or most or much of the stress in life can be avoided. Think about it. If you are diligent to live on a budget and diligent to save money, and if you have $10,000 in the bank and all of a sudden you go to the car repair shop and he says, you need new tires, are you going to panic? You're probably not. You have the money. You're good for it. If you prepare like there is a storm brewing off sea, then you will be able to handle it more better. Terrible grammar. There you go. I just did that. Um, (laughs) But you may or may not know this about me, but I own... You may or may not know, I own some rental property here in town, and I've owned some rental property for about five years, and I have figured out in the last five years that there are only two types of renters. Any other landlords in the room? There are only two types of renters. Those that pay on time, and those that do not pay on time. That's it. Like, there are really only two categories of renters, those that pay on time, and those that do not pay on time, and rarely does a renter go to switch categories. Usually if you pay on pay, on, pay late, you always pay late. And if you pay on time, you always pay on time. But man, I um, had a tenant in the past. They belonged in the category that they could never pay on time. They were always paying late and it drove me bonkers, okay? I would text them and the 10th of the month would come. That's when the late fee would come and then they wouldn't pay. And then I text them and they would ignore me for three days. And then I would text them and text them and text them and text them and text them every day until they paid. I'm that annoying landlord. Yes, that is me. Okay. And, and, and sometimes I would get paid the 29th of the month. Okay. After my lawyer contacted them. Okay. It's just a mess. And, and I would talk to my wife about this particular tenant who always paid late, and my conversation with my wife was not one of anger or one of frustration, but just how stressful it must be in life to always pay late. And now, if you always pay late, then I'm sorry, maybe, never, moving on. Okay. But the chances are, if that tenant doesn't pay her rent on time, then she probably struggles to pay a lot of different bills on time. Just how stressful that is in life. This is a microcosm of life that if we prepare accordingly, that we can curb the stress that we will face. We can curb the trials that will inevitably come. That if you plan accordingly, if you budget, if you have an emergency fund on a practical level, that when an unexpected bill comes your way, you just simply do not panic. Because, friends, we cannot control the storms that lay offshore But we can prepare ourselves to take the edge off of it. 
many of the difficulties of life are avoidable. Um, we Can I just speak about our culture for just a second? We want to blame other people for our problems. Amen? Have you ever noticed that? That's a little... But oftentimes our problems are caused by our own actions. Right? I mean, if we don't save money, if we live paycheck to paycheck, when an unexpected bill is going, it's going to be a little bit stressful. If you smoke your whole life, guess what's probably going to happen to you? Okay? If you don't deal with issues before they become problems, you will have problems, okay? If you work hard, if you invest wisely, if you put money aside every week, then guess what happens when you retire? You will have money. We can curve the edge of life for the storms that we face. That is what Kohelet talks about today, is to be prudent, to plan ahead for the storms that are heading your way. But how? How do we plan for things that we do not know will come? If you have your Bible, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And today we will see just some very practical principles. We will see four principles for life that help us overcome the storms that come our way. And there are some principles in here that financial advisors get paid a bunch of money to tell you. And what's amazing about this passage, can I, I've been teaching the Bible on some capacity for 20 something years. And I have been in full time ministry for almost a decade. And every passage that comes by, every passage that I preach, I'm more and more convinced that the Bible is truth. Because what you will see in here is just simply wisdom for life down here. That's something that was written 3,000 years ago in a, in a nation halfway across the world is still relevant for 2022 in Huntsville, Alabama. It is absolutely incredible. So if you have your text, look at it with me. Let us very quickly set the stage. And I'm doing this very quickly. What is the implicit theme of the book of Ecclesiastes? It is what? It is a life well lived. How do we have a good life down here in our 80 or 50 or 60 years that we have to live? And the five principles, I'm not going to review them today just to give you one week of break. Okay. Um, just to spare you. But the five principles that we see to live a good life are right up here. They're on the back of your note sheet and on the front of your bulletin. But then how does Kohelet, the main character in this book, that word Kohelet is the Hebrew word for preacher, or the one who assembles, he's the main character in this book. How does he outline or how does he unpack these five principles that we see? Well, chapters 1 through 4 is what? Kohelet's caution to us. The preacher cautions us on many things of life, on the futility of life without God, that you cannot have true joy without a relationship with God. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. He cautions us on the deception of money, on the deception of power, possessions, the deception of sensuality. He cautions us on the injustices of life. Chapters 5 through 7 is, co- is Kohelet's correction. He corrects our view on what, guys? If you remember, if you were here for chapters 5 through 7, he starts off by correcting our view of God. We have such a small view of God. We feel that we can get away with things, that God truly is not sovereign because we are, justice is delayed, but God is truly sovereign, that we should have a fear of the Lord. He corrects our view of money, our view of ourselves, our view of pain and temptation, our view of the legacy we leave behind. And in chapters 8 through 12 is Kohelet's counsel. He is giving us wisdom on how to have a good life under the sun. 
and today on how to take off the edge of the storm that comes your way. Mouthful. One of the things I love about the scripture is that it is just an inexhaustible spring of life. That you can study a passage a hundred times and see something new. If you've noticed on the front of your note sheet, my outline has changed. It's like, as I unpack this slowly, my outline changes because I just see more and more and more. And last week, man, a, a brother in Christ came up to me after the service that we were talking about wisdom and life under the sun. That was a whole sermon last week. And this gentleman kind of just said, you know, yeah, your sermon was just basically to be wise. I was like, you're right. That's pretty much what Solomon's message was and then i just said wait a second let's take let's take a step back and look at chapters 8 through 12 he really gives us five b's okay chapter 8 is to be respectful of earthly and heavenly authority chapter 9 is to be joyful to enjoy eating and enjoy drinking go to all you eat buffet today it's great uh drink coffee enjoy your family no, chapter 10 is to be wise to exercise wisdom in all things Chapter 11 is to be prudent, to plan ahead. And chapter 12 is to be righteous. If you have your text in front of you, chapter 10, verses 16 through 20 is talking about prudence and tasks. Chapter 11, 1 through 6 is prudence and finances. And chapter 11, verses 7 and 8 is, is prudence or planning ahead in relationships. Notice the text. All that to set the stage. Look at your text, verse 16. Woe to you, O land. Who's he talking to there? The country, right? The people who serve under this king. Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad, whose princes feast in the morning. What's he saying? Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility, whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. If you notice, verse 16 is juxtaposed to verse 17. They are polar opposites. He is contrasting the two. You have competent leaders in verse 17. They are temperate. They have discipline. They eat in the proper time. They act in the proper way. But in verse 16, you have a foolish ruler feasts in the morning. In other words, a foolish leader, a foolish boss, a foolish king is intemperate. They lack self-control. They celebrate and drink wine in the morning. How many of you have ever served under a boss that is self-consumed? Okay. That is a foolish king. Notice why would a foolish king and a foolish leader drink and party in the morning? Verse 18. Through indulgence, the rafters sag, and through slackness, the house leaks. Why would a foolish leader, why would a foolish king, why would a foolish prince in this context celebrate in the morning? What are they doing? They're avoiding problems. They don't want to notice that the rafters sag and that the slackness of hand, quite literally, the house or the roof pours in the Hebrew. They don't want to deal with issues as they arise. Homeowners in the room. Okay, homeowners. Any homeowners in the room? All right, all right. Do, when you notice a spot in your ceiling, do you just ignore it? Do you just like act like it's not there? What does it actually tell you? It means what? That the roof is leaking and what is going to happen to your house if you do not deal with it? 
the roof is going to cave in. You understand what I'm saying? Right? That is just the way it is here. It takes time for verse 18 to, have, to happen. The rafter sag doesn't happen in a day. It happens over time. And a person that does not have prudence, a bad leader, just walks around like this in life. They don't want to deal with issues. And then what inevitably happens, the issues become problems. A foolish person kicks the can down the road. Why? Notice verse 19. Why does an imprudent or an intemperate leader kick the can down the road? Verse 19. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment and wine makes life merry and money is the answer to everything. What is that right here, guys? That's called sarcasm, right? Kohelet is being sarcastic. Because what has he already said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 7? That he who loves money will not be satisfied. So who is actually speaking in verse 19? And money is the answer to everything. It is the foolish leader. A foolish leader is so self-consumed. They think that money is the answer to everything. That if I throw more money at it, it will solve the problem. Is that... We ever see that in politics? No, moving. Don't talk about that. Okay. Dial it back a little bit. That is an imprudent leader. That is a leader that is intemperate. A leader says men prepare a meal for solely for their enjoyment. Wine makes them their life merry. And, money, and they say that money is the answer to everything. And for prudence in tasks in life... Deal with issues before they become problems. Deal with issues before they become problems. How do people, people typically deal with issues that come forward? Uh, they either deal with it or, number two, they kick the can down the road. We call that issue avoidance. They don't want to deal with the leaky roof. They don't want to deal with the conflict in their home. They don't want to deal with the conflict in their marriage. They don't want to deal... With the frustration and the heartburn that is in their organization, they just kind of number two or they act like it doesn't exist. How many of you have ever known a boss that just acts like the conflict isn't even there, that there's a big elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about? People avoid issues in their life, number three, out of fear of conflict. Any, any people relate to that? Well, if I talk to them about this, what is the conflict that's going to come? Friends, listen to me. Deal with issues before they become problems. That is really good advice. Think about that in every aspect of your life. If you don't deal with issues in your marriage, guess what happens? A wedge is developed. It's just the way things are. If you don't ask for forgiveness, if you don't pick up your dirty clothes on the floor okay your wife will slowly go crazy it's just the way things are if you don't deal with problems in your home with your children if you don't pay them attention today guess what happens they don't pay you attention tomorrow you're adding wedges in your life if you don't deal with problems in your finances if you spend more money than you make Guess what inevitably happens, friends? You will be in financial ruin. 
you have to deal with issues before they become problems. But listen to me. Don't go looking for issues. Just look around you. Look at the ceilings in your life and say, there is a spot that I need to deal with. Don't imagine that there's a spot there. Don't make something up. And we've all known people that, that, that cause problems when there aren't any. That's making mountains on the lows. But deal with issues. Please. Sometimes it's just more comfortable not to just deal with things. But when a problem, when an issue exists, it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows until you look around you and you wonder how your life ever got to that point. That's the way life is. Be prudent. But then notice in verse 20, uh, how many of you have ever served under a leader that is described as the foolish person, somebody who is self-consumed, who thinks money is the answer to everything, who doesn't care about the feelings of other people, who has a building that is falling apart? Okay, how many of you have ever served under a leader like that? It's maddening, amen? Anybody else relate to that? Am I, am I the only one this morning? Notice verse 20. What is the inevitable temptation that we have when we follow that person? Furthermore, in your bedchamber, do not curse a king. And in your sleeping rooms, do not curse a rich man. For a bird of the heavens will carry the sound, and the winged creature will make the matter known. How many of you have ever gossiped about somebody and it got around to that person? I think everybody in the room. No matter how angry you are, no matter how frustrated you are, one of the worst things you can do if you're serving under somebody else is to talk bad about them, is to go to the water cooler and talk bad about your boss. Why? Well, number one, the person that you said now has ammo against you, number one. But number two, it's inevitably, like verse 20, it's going to get around to that person. And when it gets around to that person in your life, when you gossip about somebody in your family, you gossip about your child, you gossip about the pastor of your church. Don't, please, don't do that. Okay. Um, he, he wasn't on it today. Okay. Um, what inevitably happens? Number one, it's probably going to get around to that person. But number two, you are going to be paranoid. That it's going to get around to that person. So the man who does not gossip sleeps well at night. And when it gets around to that person, what is the inevitable results that happens? There is conflict, misunderstanding. The issue becomes a problem and it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. When you have an issue, can I just speak um, biblical wisdom? When you have an issue with somebody, what do you do? You go talk to that person, okay? And I know we're all imperfect. I get it. Go talk to that person. And if you don't have enough guts to go talk to that person, then keep it to yourself and let it go. To be prudent in tasks. Deal with issues before they become problems. Are there issues in your life that need to be dealt with? Number two is don't gossip about others, especially leaders in private. Verse 20. But then notice he, he talks about money next in verses 1 through 6. And financial advisors get paid a whole lot of money to give you the advice you can get for free in your Bible. 
Okay? Verse 1. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Now, what in the world is it talking about? One translation has it this way. Send your grain across the seas, and in time you will get a return. Now, some scholars believe that this is talking about a a general principle in life of taking risks. Put yourself out there, right? Get married. That is a huge risk, especially, right? Okay, I won't go down that road. Okay, having children, getting a career, going to college, those are all risks that you take in life. And you should take risks. If you sit in your house worried about everything that could ever happen to you, you're going to be a pretty miserable person, okay? That's just the truth, that we are to enjoy life. And part of enjoying life is taking risks. But he's not, in my opinion, just talking about a bunch of different risks that we can take. He's specifically talking about money. Because why do I say that? What is, it says, cast your bread upon the surface of the waters. What is bread in this culture? It is their hard-earned dollar. Okay, think about just the Jewish culture as a whole. We call the Feast of Passover. What is the other name of the Feast of Passover? It's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, very good. You think about the story of Boaz and Ruth. He, he meets her in a wheat field and in a threshing floor. Wheat is an important part of this Jewish culture. And what is Solomon telling his audience to do? To take your hard-earned crop, your grain and your wheat and your bread, and send it out on the surface of the water. Why does he say that? Think about trade in this day. The vast majority of trade in this culture was done by sea. And think about the nation of Israel. What large body of water are they connected to? The Mediterranean Sea, which is the largest sea in the world. So he is telling you, take your hard-earned money, take your hard-earned grain, put it on a ship, send it out for trade, and it will come back a better return. Does that sound familiar? It sounds like a 401k to me, okay? Take risks. Take money out of your paycheck. Put it out on the surface of the sea and send it out so you can have a greater return later on. Take your hard-earned money. Take your hard-earned crop, whatever you produce, and send it out. Take risks. Don't just stuff it underneath your mattress. You're losing 8% this year, okay? But then notice what else he says. He says, take risks. Cast your bread upon the waters for you will get a greater return. Take risks in life. But notice what he says in verse 2. Divide your portion. This is where the financial advisor gets paid big bucks, okay? Divide your portion to seven or even eight. Why? For you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Verse 1, take risks. Verse 2, diversify. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. The money you take out of your paycheck, the bread that you produce, send it out into a sea of mutual funds. But don't just put it in one stock or don't put it in urethrium. You just got beat down. Okay, don't do that. Divide it seven or eight times. Why? Because he's saying if you choose to put that wheat on a ship and it's called the Titanic, it's not going to end up well. But if you have eight shifts, chances are one might go down, but you're going to get a good return. 
You're spreading out your risks. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, think about it. This is, this is something that was written 3,000 years ago, and we still preach this today. It's amazing that there is biblical wisdom. 2,500 years before the New York Stock Exchange even existed, Solomon is telling you to take risks with your money and to diversify. Send your grain across the seas, and in time you will get a return. Divide your merchandise among seven ventures, eight maybe, since you do not know what disasters may occur on earth. If you put all of your stock in Enron 20 years ago, you ate the dust, okay? He is saying to just be wise in your money. Be prudent because you have friends. Listen, can we just all agree on something real quick? That we have no idea the storms that await us. Amen? You have no idea what life will throw at you. So fill your sandbags. Board up your windows. Get ready. Notice what Kohelet says next. Notice how he continues. Verse 3. What is he talking about? So take risks. Diversify. Verse 3. If the clouds are full... They pour out rain upon the earth, and whether a tree falls towards the south or toward the north, whether the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the cloud will not reap. What is he saying? He's saying, don't wait for ideal conditions. He says, take risks today. You don't know if it's going to get better tomorrow or worse. Put your money in the stock market today. Put your money on a shift today. Don't wait for ideal conditions. Just do it. If you're always waiting for things to get better and better and better for you to do something, guess what? You're not going to do anything. One commentator says that Solomon here urged his readers not to sit around waiting for the most opportune moment to work, but to be diligent constantly. The future is as beyond one's control as the act of God in nature. So waiting for the perfect moment to plant or to reap would result in inactivity. But notice verse 5. Why should we not wait for unideal conditions? Verse 5. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Why should you be prudent today? Because you have no idea what is going to happen to you in the future. And you have no idea what's not going to happen. The proof is, is you can't even predict which way the path winds or path. The which way the wind goes, the path of the wind. You have no idea how something seemingly simple as the bones being formed in the womb. You simply cannot control. You have no idea what's coming your way. So you should plan for the future to avoid unnecessary risks. Verse 6. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening. Any men in the room like to disveg all day long after you get home from work? Yeah, right here too. For you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. What is he saying? Instead of worrying about things you cannot control, today you can control whether you work hard or not. Verse 6, sow your seed in the morning. Do it in the right time. Be temperate. Be wise. Work hard. Don't be lazy. Sow your seed in the morning. And what is he saying? Do not be idle in the evening. Uh, 
anybody just love to come home from work and all you want to do is just sit on the couch and watch TV? Anybody relate to that? Man, when I was a, when I was a younger man, and I've talked about this many, many times, um, I, I used to work in a very high-stress environment. I'll just say it that way. Quite literally, I had a full head of hair when I started there at 22, and at 25, I looked in the mirror one day, and I said, what is that dead cat on my head? Okay, three years later... That's literally what happened to me. And so I, I, I would get to work at 6 a.m. in the morning. I would get off at 6.30 in the evening. And for 12 and a half straight hours, it was just, uh, I wouldn't say quite Sodom and Gomorrah, but it felt that way. Okay, it was just really, really stressful and bad. And I remember I would get home and my wife would instantly just look at my eyes and realize what she could do, okay? And for the most part, I would be so traumatized from the last 12 and a half hours that I would literally just walk in the door like this, and, and she would just pull out the chair, right? And, and then I would sit down, and she would turn on the TV, and I would just go like this, and she would hand me a sweet tea. And I would just watch TV for 30 minutes to thaw out, when you get home, work in the morning, work your buns off, work hard, be known at your work as somebody that is, has a tireless work ethic. That is a good thing. But in the evening, rest a little bit, but don't be completely idle. Use your evenings to get better at your mornings. I mean, I'll just give you an illustration. Believe it or not, almost every day in the evening time, I watch a sermon. I watch a different preacher just to get a little bit better. And in the morning, I sow my seed. I do my study. I put together my sermons. Be prudent. Work hard. And in the evening when you get home, don't just be a bump on a log. Don't just be a vegetable. First off, don't do that because your family needs you. But moving on from that. Second off, get better at your job. Friends, listen to me. You will never enjoy your toil if you stink at it. And the only way you get better at your toil is by preparing yourself accordingly. It's the truth. So number three, principle number three is to take risks, right? To diversify, for you do not know what tomorrow holds. But then notice he then turns to prudence in our personal life. And let me just give you a word of caution on this one. The, what I love about the book of Ecclesiastes is that we see that there is balance. He, he has balance in life. Because sometimes you can work so hard that you neglect what is most important. Notice verse 7. The light is pleasant and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. And let him remember the days of darkness. Notice this next phrase. For they will be many. He, that is so true. If you've lived any length of time, then you know that there are many dark days in life. Amen? So true. Everything that is to come will be futility. What is, saying, what is he saying? Principle number four is to be prudent personally. Enjoy today. The light is pleasant. When is there light outside? It is during the day. Enjoy today. Number two, rejoice in all of your years. We sometimes want to just wish a time period away in life. When you have young kids and twins that are below one, I can imagine those are pretty brutal days, okay? And we kind of wish them away. But don't. 
Enjoy it. <laughs> Even if something is completely miserable, find something to enjoy. Enjoy the light. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. Even the bad ones. Even in the darkest years of your life, find something to delight in. Because you will have dark days. And then what else does he say? Remember the dark days of darkness, for they will be many. In other words, this, learn from the darkness. But can I add something real there? Don't be stuck in the darkness. When you go through something that is really painful, what do you have the propensity to do? You have the propensity to get stuck. Anybody else know people like that? That when something bad happens, you freeze. You freeze emotionally. You freeze spiritually. You freeze physically. I've known some 75-year-olds that act like 12-year-olds. I've known some 35-year-olds that act like 15-year-olds. I've noticed because probably about that period of time, there was something traumatic or something difficult or a dark day. And what they do, what we all do, and I'll share my story in just a moment, is that we live there. We live in the darkness. We don't remember the darkness. We don't just look at it to learn. But we live there. We get stuck in those days. Don't do that. Learn. I'll just share my story. Um, remember the days of darkness, but do not get stuck in them. So, um, I share this story. I'm just going to share my story real quick. You may or may not know this about my family, but I tell people, they ask me, okay, how many kids do you have? And I say, had four, raised three. In September 20th of 2013, my wife and I gave birth to a beautiful baby boy, and he was named Byron Jr. And believe it or not, I think his head was even bigger than mine, okay? He was one of those, he, was, he would run like a bobblehead. He'd start leaning and then just kind of go that way. Um, he was born September 20th of 2013, excuse me, September 30th of 2013, and Almost two years later, on September 20th, 2015, ten days before his second birthday, we found him passed away in his crib. Those were the darkest days of my life, by a mile. And if you think about your calendar currently, that is the exact season we are in right now. September 20th to September 30th. There's something that that event has taught me about life is that we should remember those days, but we do not live in those days. We live today. We have to put our foot forward. We have to find enjoyment today. Do not let the darkness in your life drag you back. Learn from them, but don't live in them. How do we exercise prudence in life? Deal with issues before they become problems. Don't gossip about other people. Take risks. Diversify. Don't wait for ideal conditions. And to be prudent personally, enjoy today, rejoicing all of your years, remembering the days of darkness and learning from them but not living in them. Before I close, I'm going to talk to two different groups of people. First question I would like to answer is, so what to Christians? So what to Christians? How do we take this passage and just kind of apply it to my life? And can I just be frank? Um, 
there is a lot of there are a lot of different things you can take away from this passage. These principles are super practical. They really are. I, I'm stunned how practical these principles truly are in life. It's awesome. But this is what I want you to do. This week, I want you to go take a hike, go on a walk, find some alone time, be with Jesus, okay? If you don't have a quiet time, make one this week. I don't care if you work 100 hours a week, just make time for it. What I want you to do this week is I want you to take a step back from the table. I want you to put down your phone, I want you to just take a walk, and I want you to look at your life as a whole. And I just want you to look at it and say, what areas of my life need attention? What areas of my life need planning so I can avoid future problems? It could be in your marriage, it could be in your relationships, it could be in your friendships, it could be in your work, it could be in your health. Don't put things off. Deal with them. Deal with problems. Deal with them. Because one day you will wake up and you will wonder how your life caved in when the storm came ashore. And then question number two is really, so what to non-Christians? I, um, to be honest, I don't know how non-believers endure life. Life is just simply too painful not to know God. For who can have enjoyment without God? Without the Lord Jesus Christ, this life truly is without hope. There is only valleys of darkness in life without Him. Only He can have make my story redemptive. If you do not know Christ Jesus, uh, the foundation of life is really a relationship with God. That is how we were wired and created. For God is our creator and he sent his son to be our savior so that we can have eternal life. If you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, then what you need to do is place your faith in him, that he is your savior, that you have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that you simply need Him to come into your life and believe in Him as your Lord and Savior. Um, my question for you, my question for, your not, for Christians in the room is are there areas of your life that need attention? Are there spots in the ceiling that you have been avoiding dealing with? But my question for non-believers is do you know Christ Jesus? Have you trusted in Him? Have you believed in Him? I would encourage you to make that decision. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for today. Uh, we thank you for just a practical life wisdom that Solomon gives us, Kohelet gives us for life under the sun, that we should plan ahead to avoid unnecessary risks. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that you display to us. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that you give us constantly. And Lord, may we come before you to find grace in our time of need. And uh, Lord, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for Calvary Bible Church. I just thank you that they allow me to preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter. What a privilege and honor that it is just to do that so we can see your truth as it is, the sword that it has become in our lives. And may we apply it to our lives. May we not just stuff it away for more knowledge to learn, but may we believe in it and trust it and apply it. And Lord, I pray for those that do not know you as Savior. 
that they would trust in you, that they would believe in you as Lord of their life. And we thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen.